the Russians absolutely have maintained a heavy airdrop capability. They're still able to airdrop armor, which isn't a capability that uh, we maintain. We're, we're trying to bring it back right now. So if the guys that we're worried about competing against think it's important, we should, maybe should take a, a hard look at it and you know, kind of go from there. Welcome back to Leaders Recon. So we're in a little bit different place today with Sergeant Peck from Jumpmaster at WTC. Welcome to the program. Thank you. So usually we ask like a little bit of a fun fact about you, but I guess I had my own fun fact here because we, uh, or you were my instructor back in like 2019 for Pathfinder. Pathfinder. And so now you've moved over to Jumpmaster, which is, Jumpmaster's the newest school at WTC? It is the newest school at WTC. We just went live in September of this year, and we've taught two courses since then. So it's still the freshest course at WTC. So what is, what is Jumpmaster, like, in a nutshell? So Jumpmaster School qualifies airborne soldiers to conduct airborne operations, both on the ground at the unit area, to inspect personnel and bundles uh, in their equipment and to do practical work in the aircraft and to safely execute soldiers and equipment from the aircraft in airdrop operations. So for those of us that are not uh, airborne uh, soldiers, what, what does that mean? Uh, jump masters are, are, are like your OICs and NCICs that are putting soldiers out of the plane. That's in a nutshell. Okay. That's it. You're you're okay. the guy putting the the officer or the NCO that's putting the soldiers out of the plane and making sure everything gets out safely. So then, how? So are there minimum requirements before you can become a jump master? What does that look like? So uh, obviously, first of all, you have to be airborne qualified. Uh, the requirements currently are that you have to be on jump status a minimum of 12 months, and you have to have at least 12 high performance exits, which. A high performance exit is defined as an exit from a C-130 or C-17 or C-27 aircraft. Okay, so just not like a helicopter of some sort. Not a, a helicopter. It's got to be a fixed wing. So then, is there, is there any other minimum requirements for soldiers before they could come to the course, or is that, is that just... Uh, you have to be uh, an NCO or an officer. Okay. Uh, you have to be at least in the pay grade of E-5. Before you can attend before the course. You can. Okay, so... so what is it? Can you give us a breakdown? I guess of what, like, how the course is laid out. Like, is it a ten-day course or what's the? So it's a fifteen-day course. Okay. Uh, we mirror the active components uh, course, which is three weeks long. The only difference is we don't do weekends off. It's just fifteen days straight through. So you get there, you in process. Like a lot of courses in the army, the first two or three days is a lot of powerpoints, a lot of classroom work, kind of establishing the base knowledge. And then we go into Jumpmaster Personnel Inspection, or JMPI, which is inspecting a jumper who's rigged in a parachute. Both what we call Hollywood, which is just the, the parachute and with combat equipment. And two weeks into that, you'll take your JMPI tests. And after that, you'll do an exam on practical work in the aircraft, or PWAC, which is the actual, actually going up in the plane, actually uh, giving the jump commands and putting jumpers out. And then the last few days are some other enrichment and sustainment sorts of things that you need to know to properly conduct an airborne operation. So to recap then, it's like you have, you have some in administrative classes, your nomenclature tests, your, uh, that next test, is that the, that's not the uh, pre-jump. That pre-jump, okay, okay. On day four. And then you 
JMPI exams. Lots of JMPI, a few additional classes throughout, but the, the meat of the class is JMPI practice. And then after, after assuming you get through JMPI, is the PWAC, is, and is, the there, PWAC. Ex, is there an exam there? Is that a practical exam? So it's a it? practical exam. You okay. actually will go up in uh, Air Force C-130 or C-17. Uh, it has to be done at altitude. You have to actually stick your head out of the aircraft going 130 knots because there's no substitute for that. Yeah. And then you exit the aircraft, weather permitting, and you get a jump. The jump isn't required for the course, but it is required that you do your door checks in the aircraft that's in flight. And what and what kind of duties are those again? Or do you have to pull a specific type of duty, or is it very, or is it rotate, or can you explain that how those work with duties in the aircraft for so masters? With PWAC, what you're tested on actually in the aircraft is the nine jump commands and the door checks. Okay. Which jumpers uh, should be familiar with, if even if they don't know what they are, they they probably remember the jump master standing up and yelling at them and leaning out the door. And then on the ground after the, the PWAC exam, then they'll learn the duties of the safety. And that's a, another practical exercise and a practical exercise test, but that's done on the ground in a mock-up. It doesn't have to be done in the aircraft while in flight. Okay. So it's a pretty like necessary skill then for some of these units, especially the airborne units, to be able to operate. You can't be an airborne unit and execute airborne operations without jump masters. Yeah. So and it's the, critical. So how about how many soldiers have you guys you said two courses you put on so far like what does that look like for so we've done two courses we've uh, had uh between 20 and 30 students each course and uh we've had them from all three components so far and right now our graduation rate is right on par with the active duties which is about 50 percent mm. uh, the the joke is that it's a three uh, it's a six-week course that some people test out after three weeks <laughs> Only about 50% of soldiers make it through on their first attempt. What makes it so challenging? Uh, JMPI is incredibly difficult. It's you're kind of the the joke is you're taking a knowledge through a fire hose. Mm. Uh, it's uh, you're inspecting between two and three hundred different things, depending on whether it's a, a Hollywood or a combat equipped jumper. Oh, wow. The standard is you inspect one combat equipped jumper and two Hollywood jumpers in five minutes. So three, oh, wow. three jumpers in, in five minutes with, with all those things that you're inspecting. Um, and the intent is that if you can inspect those three guys in five minutes and find everything and have a, a proper JMPI sequence when you're stressed, then you can do it with a real jumper and take your time and you know train hard, fight easy, basically. Yeah. So then is there differences? Or I mean, you know, you already highlighted like the active duty course has weekends off, you know, at the WTC, you go straight through. Are there any other differences between the course, or so there? There are a few differences. Uh, first of the five seventh at Fort Benning is the proponent for the Army, so they tell us uh, what we teach and how we need to teach it. So we have a framework that we have to operate in. Okay. Uh, having said that, we we do have a little bit of wiggle room that we can tailor to the individual units. Uh, for example, there are two Airborne Infantry Battalions in the National Guard and a lot of separate companies, the two Special Forces groups and a lot of rigor companies that often won't do a whole lot of fixed wing exits. They'll do a lot of rotary wing, uh, the UH-60 Blackhawks, mm -hmm. CH-47 Chinooks, whereas TRADOC doesn't put a whole lot of emphasis on rotary wing. If we're teaching a course for a unit that does a lot of that, then we can spend a little bit extra time talking about 
rotary wing duties or um, another advantage we have is we do all mobile training teams or MTTs. We go to the units. So when we're teaching you PWAC and how to spot for your drop zone, you're spotting on the actual drop zone that your unit drops on all the time. Oh, wow. So rather than... And you always go on, on uh, MTTs the, right now? The way we're set up right now, we always go on MTTs. We're scheduled to do, I believe, eight in this next year. And we're going to uh, first of the 143rd in Texas, second of the 134th in Nebraska, um, going up to Rhode Island for Charlie Company, uh, wow. first of 143rd, and a couple courses down in Florida. Um, and then also uh, a few courses, uh, I think we've got one at Hunter Armory. Hunter Army Airfield in Georgia, and just a couple of random places. But and, the, and are those like requested by the units, or how does if you know if I'm an airborne unit like or have you know paid parachutists that we need to start getting through Jump Master? Like how do I go about facilitating that? So again, uh, the infantry school is the proponent for it. All requests go through the infantry school. If it's uh, we're set up to teach the reserve component. Um, However, if first of the 507th, who is the executive agent, is tied up and, and can't do uh, an MTT for an active duty unit, infantry school could bring it to us and have us do it. But it all goes through uh, the infantry school. Okay. So then what is it, I guess, like moving into a little bit of like the challenging parts of the course, you already mentioned uh, JMPI. What's, uh, you know, what does a day look like when you start diving into you know, the breakup of, you know, a typical course day at Jumpmaster? So it's uh, it's not a particularly uh, physically demanding course. It's not a wake up at zero five for PT sort of course. Yeah. Uh, it's more, um, a little bit more banker's hours. You'll be working anywhere from six to 10 hours most days. Um, come in around zero eight after breakfast. Uh, most days we'll be doing a lot of JMPI practice, which is what we call JMPI circles. Mm -hmm. And it split the class in half, half the class is rigged up in, in the harnesses. The other half is acting as the jump masters. They'll go around the circles. Uh, the harnesses will have different deficiencies in it that the students are looking for. That'll go from 25 to 40 minutes and then we'll switch out and just keep doing that all day long. Repetition is what makes perfection. How does that, yeah, how, do, how does that work with like, I mean, you mentioned there's like a, there's over a couple hundred things to inspect on on each jumper or like each type of rig, right? Is that correct? Yes. So then how does that, you know, what are, what are some of the things I guess that, you know, so soldiers that are interested in coming to Jumpmaster or will be coming or they know that the MTT is coming to their state, like what are some things that they can try to prep ahead of time to help them be successful? So that, that's a great question because Jumpmaster, unfortunately, just due to the, the time limitations of the course, isn't one that you can come into blind and be successful. Okay. And it's absolutely critical that the units help soldiers prepare for it and only send soldiers that are prepared for it. Uh, two things that you need to know going into Jumpmaster school, aside from meeting those prerequisites of being on jump stats for a year and having those 12 high-performance jumps, it's critical that the incoming student is familiar with nomenclature for the T11 advanced tactical parachute system. Okay. And that can be found on the Jumpmaster School website. Uh, hopefully units are preparing incoming students and kind of vetting them on that beforehand. It's also absolutely critical that students have the pre-jump nomenclature or the pre-jump script memorized. Okay. That's about a four page long script that every unit has to do before every jump to ensure that 
all jumpers have been recently trained on the airborne operation. Uh, it's a it's a test that's given on day four. It has you can't learn a four page script in in three days while you're learning a bunch of other stuff, yeah. uh, or most people can't. So it's it's imperative that the incoming students ha are familiar with that prior to arriving at the course. So are those like the two key drop events then, like that that nomenclature exam and then the JPMI later on, or is there some other key events? So uh, the nomenclature exams on day two, okay. it, it's a 25-question exam. Uh, if you arrive completely unprepared for the course, it's possible to learn that in one night. I really don't recommend it. Uh, Pre-jump sends some people home, but again, it's mostly people who aren't prepared for the course. But JMPI is probably the number one thing that sends people home. And is that just like a go no go event? Like you have to inspect three people. If you get a no go, you're done. Or what's the, so there? Uh, there's more than one test. Normally, uh, on day I don't want to say the wrong day, but uh, there's a pretest that's done first. Okay. Uh, if you pass the pretest, then you're good. You don't have to take the test. It's normally more difficult. Um, generally, not a whole lot of people pass that, but it's kind of a uh, it, it doesn't count against you if you fail it. It's, okay. it's just sort of, you can almost treat it as a practice. It's test. like a diagnostic. It's AP. like a diagnostic APFT, exactly. But one that, hey, if you pass your diagnostic APFT, you're good. You don't have to take a record. <laughs> yeah. um, then we, uh, the next day, we'll have the actual test and the retest. Okay. And it's, it's never the same test twice. And then for students who maintain uh, an 80 or above in every other prior event, then you get two additional tests, what we call re-entry. Hmm. We have a re-entry test and a re-entry retest. So if you go into it and get an 80 or above in every event, you have a total of five tests that you get to take to pass JMPI. Okay. So uh, a lot of students that fail JMPI kind of get into their own head, uh, get the test anxiety, that sort of thing. Hmm. Um, but the course is designed to make sure that everyone who passes is more than capable of performing duties as a jump master. So whenever you see somebody who is a jump master, you know with confidence that not only can they JMPI a soldier for a jump, but they can do three in five minutes. So they can do it under great stress. Yeah, which I guess is kind of important since we're literally pushing people out of aircraft. We're literally kicking people out of aircraft. They're putting their lives in your hands. So it's there are a lot of duties as a leader in the military that you know people are putting their lives in your hands and i can't think of you know a better example of that than jump master so, so then you know diving into the jmpi a little bit what is uh you know i guess it's, it's, it seems like a lot of like attention to detail and memorization you know what are you know are there any i guess tricks to the trade that you could give for either prospective students or those that are trying to go back through the course? Uh, the, the joke that we have is all you have to do is JMPI three jumpers in five minutes or less, find all the deficiencies and use proper sequence. It's that easy. Uh, that is a lot of stuff to do in, in that time period, but uh, it's one of those things where not only is finding everything important, but finding everything the right way using proper sequence is okay. critical because even if you find everything, if you don't use proper sequence, then potentially you could miss things in the future. So, uh, and the deficiencies that you might see might be as little as a, a piece of thread that should be there that isn't or shouldn't be there that is. So attention to detail is absolutely critical. 
yeah, I can imagine. What, how was you, what was your experience like going through Jumpmaster? So I I actually um, I I passed all my my first attempt going through as a student. I uh, not because I was the greatest soldier there or anything, but I was extremely well prepared by my unit and by one Jumpmaster in my unit in particular. So I couldn't have done it without great preparation. So, so did you have a little bit of familiarization like with uh, everything going into it or like what or I guess since you're you're a stellar example now if you pass the first time what's a you know what was some of those things that you did specifically uh, first of all uh, my unit had their own nomenclature test that they gave me okay. and again it's uh, everything can be found on the Jumpmaster school website on um, Fort Benning uh, so they gave me a, a mock up that they made of a nomenclature exam if I didn't pass that nomenclature exam, they weren't going to send me. I had to recite pre-jump in front of my company first sergeant. Nice. So, if, okay. if, you know, it's easy to be confident when you're reciting something to yourself at your desk or in your car, but then whenever you have to stand in front of, you know, your boss or your boss's boss and recite it, then you're going to make sure that you've got it wired tight. So, um, of course, I, not only did I have my 12 high-performance jumps, but my unit was making sure that I got on every opportunity that I had to make a high performance jump in the months preceding that. Okay. So without those things, there's no way I would have been successful. Um, and it, it basically came down to my company, uh, Air NCO. Um, so for Air NCOs in, in the Guard in these units or readiness NCOs, whoever they are, it is, that's not only do you have a uh, responsibility as a jump master, but you know, as your unit's trainer. Uh, and like, I know we you kind of hit on some of the importance earlier of like why jump masters are key for airborne units and and making sure everything's done safely and appropriately. Can you give us a breakdown a little bit of like what are the the duties, I guess jump master duties or what are the roles that jump masters fill during an airborne operation? So there you can basically break down a jump master's duties into three categories. There's back at the unit, there's at the departure airfield, and then there's in flight. Okay. So back at the unit, you have things like your pre-jump training, your sustained airborne training, planning the airborne operations, things like training new jump masters, ensuring that you're running a basic airborne refresher if that's necessary, and just making sure everybody's qualified to do their jobs. At the departure airfield, you're conducting jump master personnel inspections or JMPIs. Okay. You're speaking with the aircraft crew. You're making sure everybody's on the same page and getting everybody loaded onto that aircraft properly rigged and ready to execute their duties. Then in the aircraft, you have that practical work in the aircraft, which is maintaining safe conditions in the aircraft, getting everybody stood up, hooked up, checking the door, spotting the drop zone, and getting everybody out of the aircraft. So your duties as a jump master end once everybody in your stick up to and including you, if you're a jumping jump master, have exited the aircraft. So is there, is there some jump masters that won't jump then in the aircraft? So depending on the, the type of mission or the type of aircraft, a jump master uh, could remain static okay. and, and stay in the aircraft. For example, uh, the UH-60 Blackhawk, the jump master doesn't jump, he stays in the aircraft. What are some of the things you know that, that they can do to help make sure that their students are have a better chance of success? So for for units that are getting ready to send students, it's it's absolutely critical that you prep your guys to be a student at Jump Master School going into it. And it, it doesn't take a whole lot to run a kind of pre Jump Master program. Okay, it can be as simple as just having a, a nomenclature test. You don't it doesn't have to be a written test or anything like that. You can just have a parachute rig at your your armory or whatever and point to the different components and say hey tell me what this is tell me what this is tell me what this is 
just be confident that the guy you're sending has a, a grasp of that. Doesn't even have to be perfect going into it, but you know that test is on day two, so they they need to be familiar with it before they get to the course. They really need to be comfortable pitching pre-jump that four-page spiel that that every jump master has to do before an airborne operation. Uh, if you aren't comfortable saying that or aren't familiar with that coming into the course, there's it's really really hard to be successful. I I'd, I'd almost say it's impossible to be successful. Uh, if you don't know that going into the course. Aside from that, just teaching the good habits and as a unit, um, having the good habits that are taught in the course. What are some of those habits? uh, Things like uh, the the TC3-21.220, which is the static line uh, airborne operations manual, things that it says that you have to do. Uh, Keeping jumpers current, not letting them go more than 180 days between jumps. Uh, performing a proper JMPI every time you do a jump. If you're jumping with combat equipment, rig them in combat equipment and JMPI them in combat equipment. Just the the things that we're all supposed to do that sometimes we might find a, an easier or faster way. Um, you don't want the first time somebody sees the right thing to be when they get to a school when they've seen a different way at their unit for two years or, or whatever. So uh, that's the best way you can prepare students. You know, there's some naysayers out there right that'll or there's that'll say that airborne operations are like a thing of the past not really current so i i am currently working on um so i'm 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 working towards my degree in military history and my my thesis is on that so i've got a lot to say on it but uh so just in the last year and uh just limited to the continent of africa which you know a lot of people don't even know we have forces in africa Uh, special operations did an airdrop uh, to rescue an American hostage. Um, that's, that's not classified or anything like that. That was on the news. Uh, so we've had a combat jump in the last year. Um, and then... When was the last time we had one before that? Was it on, during the uh, I want to say it was t- it's either 2005 or 2007, and it was uh, in Afghanistan. I think it was limited to uh, one company okay. or one battalion uh, within Ranger Regiment. Prior to that, uh, March of 2003... Uh, the 173rd dropped into northern Iraq. There's there's been some smaller ones, a lot of free fall type stuff. Um, the last static line one that I'm aware of was in it was either 2005 or 2007. I don't remember okay. the exact date. Uh, but then 2003 prior to that, um, prior to that, you're looking at probably uh, 1989 with uh, Operation Just Cause in, in Panama. So there's still some good infiltration methods. What you're saying? Using. There are. It's, you know, it's it's a tool in the tool bag. Uh, when was the last time the Marine Corps did an amphibious assault on a beach? I don't know when it was, but nobody's suggesting we get rid of the entire Marine Corps. Um, the The opportunities to do either one are probably slimmer than they might have been in the past. But you know, don't throw out a tool that's still useful. Yeah, uh, just take a good, honest assessment of how often are we going to use this? How large is this force that we need to be uh, and you, and, have need to be? And you mentioned the airdrop that you helped with in Africa, you, you have like, you know, both as an airborne soldier and then as a jump master, is there some like really memorable experiences that you've had? So yeah, just in, uh, in the last eight months or so, delivering 800 pounds of supplies to uh, forces in Niger at a remote camp, uh, just because of how isolated they were, it was difficult to resupply them. Uh, 
don't necessarily have the aviation assets in the area, don't necessarily have the, the ground logistics support in the area to be able to deliver large amount of supplies, but found out, hey, it's not that far out of the way uh, between uh, off an air route between two large air bases. We can just divert cargo aircraft a little bit and drop some supplies and, and keep these guys supplied. So um, without the, the knowledge of being a jump master and without rigor support and things like that, which all require paratroopers, then that wouldn't have been possible. Hmm. So it's the need is definitely still out there. And probably as things draw down overseas and we're going to more... Uh, back towards a, a decreased footprint overseas, we're probably going to see more of a need for things like yeah, with that. Yeah, especially with like the focus on like large-scale combat operations and, and moving. So absolutely, and whether or not we'll airdrop an entire division, I, I don't know, but the capability is absolutely still there, and our potential adversaries are still maintaining that same capability. Um, so it's important to maintain well, and that's what something that I think I remember, you know, maybe, and this is where my memory might be leaving me a little bit from Pathfinder. Didn't we talk a little bit about uh, some of the Russian capabilities on uh, dropping equipment? Because they can drop almost so, uh, everything, that's, uh, right? Uh, Sergeant First Class Hankinson okay. loved to talk about the Russian capabilities, and he was the guy who prepped me for Jump Master School and couldn't, oh, wow. couldn't have been successful without Sergeant First Class Colin M. Hankinson. So, uh, but uh, the, the Russians absolutely have maintained a heavy airdrop capability. They're still able to airdrop armor, which isn't a capability that uh, we maintain. We're, we're trying to bring it back right now. So if the guys that we're worried about competing against think it's important, we should, maybe should take a, a hard look at it and you know, kind of go from there. That's you know, way above my pay grade. But I, just from what I've seen at my pay grade, at the tactical level, it's still useful. Uh, we might need to take a look at how we employ the um, the Rhodesians uh, in the 1960s employed it at the tactical level and they weren't drop, dropping more than a squad. You know, maybe we need to kind of look at, okay, maybe we don't need to drop a division or a brigade. What are some other ways that we can employ air insertions? Um, and then going back then to, you know, obviously it's a, it's a needed capability. I mean, I'm in an airborne battalion as well, so, so uh, one day... I'll, I'll come to your <laughs> jump master school. Um, what is, uh, you know, what are some of those resources? I know you mentioned the website already, the jump master website. Are there any other resources that you'd recommend either for soldiers or units? So there is a jump master app out there, uh, for Android and iPhone. It's a little bit dated. Okay. Uh, it's, if you just search for jump master, it pops up. I can't tell you to go out and get it because we didn't develop it. We don't control it. Uh, there are some good resources there that will help you out. It has pictures of a lot of the deficiencies that you'll see, the, the nomenclature for the equipment you'll use. It's got an older version of pre-jump. Um, but it, it's a, a decent resource. Um, of course, always go back to the official Army publications, TC3-21.220. Um, is the training and implementation okay. of static line parachuting techniques. Um, on a more operational level for leaders, you want to look at FM 3-99, which is airborne and air assault. And that's how you're planning airborne and air assault operations. So it's the employment of these capabilities that your soldiers have. So, Well, I guess that's something we didn't really talk about too much was the whole planning factor yeah, and, and all the uh, jump masters that have to be involved with that. I mean, we touched on it a little bit, I guess. Right, and, and that's not something that jump master teaches. We're, you know, we're limited by our, our footprint of being only 15 days long, so there's only so much we can teach 
in that time but uh that that's a whole different level but it's important to not forget particularly fm3-99 because that's okay why are we doing this airborne operation okay how where are we going to drop our guys in relation to our objective right? things like that load plans all that sort of stuff so especially if you're if you're in a command slot if you're on a staff a planning staff uh, 3-99 is what you need to take a look at so well, thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing a lot of your expertise with us sure. here and uh, for coming on to Leaders Recon in uh, C-130. Thanks for coming to my C-130. <laughs> thanks. If you'd like more information on any of the topics discussed today, please visit our social media pages in the links below or visit our website at www.nationalguard.mil slash leaderdevelopment. If you liked today's episode, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.